This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, July 12, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. In marking 100 years of the Chinese Communist Party, what exactly are party leaders celebrating? Several decades of continuous rule, mass slaughter of Chinese people, and more recently crackdowns against free expression in Hong Kong and the imprisonment of about a million Uyghur Muslims probably won't make the highlight reel. Cato's Doug Bandow and Eric Gomez comment on the dubious celebration. When the Chinese Communist Party marks its own centennial, its own 100th anniversary, what do they highlight? Much of what they highlight is essentially you know, that they have stood up, that they are now a strong independent country, they have imposed themselves upon the world, that they have ended extreme poverty, that they've given the Chinese people much to be proud of. And indeed, if you look at China before the CCP took over, you can understand why people wanted change. Unfortunately, the good things they claim to have delivered have come at an extraordinarily high human cost. Eric, from the outside looking in, the 100th anniversary of the Communist Party in China doesn't seem like anything worth noting. So when they uh, highlight these uh, achievements, um, what's the, what are they leaving out? Well, like Doug said, the steep human costs of what it has taken to get to where they are today, things like the famine produced during the Great Leap Forward in the 1950s, things like the Cultural Revolution that saw widespread uh, violence against um, people that the party didn't like, uh, things like Tiananmen Square in 1989 and what's happening in Xinjiang with the genocide against the Uyghurs right now. It's a very violent history uh, that the CCP has had in its last 100 years. And unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. We had different ideas about where China was headed in the 90s and the early 2000s. What's changed in that time? I think part of it is that, and somewhat paradoxically, the engagement that the United States did with China in that time period might have worked somewhat. And that they did adopt a lot of economic reforms that seemed like opening up. And what Xi Jinping's rise at the party level really shows is that I think it shows that China was getting worried or the the CCP was getting worried that it was losing its ideological guidance or or, uh, rooting. And so part of what Xi has been doing has been re-emphasizing the role of communist ideology and trying to sort of say that, you know, we are the Chinese, you know, communist capital C party. And the things that happened in the 90s as the economy was booming that bred certain levels of corruption and other things that the people of China, and it's a legitimate grievance. I mean, part of it is he's doing this to secure his own power, but it's coming from a real place of um, there was a lot of problems in government and he's trying to present a way to to root them out. So I think that when we look back to the 90s and judge it a success or a failure, it's important to consider that too, where it might have been working in some respects. And then China reacted um, and and produced Xi Jinping. And um, it wasn't, I don't think it was ever preordained that he would be the leader now, um, but that's what we have. And now we have to adapt to that change. 
I think it's important to realize that nothing is preordained about where China is or was. It was a much looser authoritarian system, and I think we can take, to some degree, take credit in having engaged China help produce that. Uh, there were human rights lawyers, there were local independent journalists, there was criticism of local party officials, academia was more free, there were NGOs, some of which, of which Cato worked with. There was a lot of looseness there. Churches were operating, and Xi Jinping came along and transformed that. And part of it was, as Eric indicated, challenges within the party. There was a, a, a seemingly an attempted coup within the party, Bo Zhilai, who was put down. The corruption problem was enormous. And I'm not sure that all of the uh, the Chinese Communist Party members knew what they were getting when they took uh, Xi. Uh, he was thought by some to be a potential reformer. Yeah, so this is something where, I, and I think the future is not settled. So what we shouldn't berate ourselves and say we were wrong in engaging China. I think it helped produce a China that uh, in which millions of people are no longer poor, and it, well, there was greater freedom there. The problem is the track now is a very ugly one, and the question is how to try to find ways to encourage it to move in a different direction. Potentially, when she's gone, he won't be there forever, or earlier if the party decides to change directions. We should note that this anniversary comes at about the time that Xi Jinping seems to have consolidated his role uh, as head of the party, and it's, I guess, less questioned now than than ever. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, much of what he's been doing internally has been about seizing his legacy, setting his agenda, and it's worked <laughs> for him. Next year, we presume we will see him extend his authority for another term. He uh, led the way to get rid of term limits on the presidency, and uh, he can now serve for another term. And along with that will certainly be the uh, the head of the Communist Party, which frankly is the more important position. Uh, and of course, most recently, um, Hong Kong has faced a, a, a fairly brutal uh, and rapid uh, crackdown after uh, Beijing passed its uh, new national security law. Uh, hundreds of Critics, activists, arrested, uh, pro-democracy politicians have had to leave the country. No, it it was Xi Jinping showed how effective he is. He's truly a Leninist. I, I think that the Communist Party today is not so much Marxist-Leninist, but it's Leninist there. The party will be in control. He centralized power. They didn't want another Tiananmen Square. But they showed utter ruthlessness, and what they did is targeting anyone for almost any opposition. And they—it's gotten tighter and tighter. So they've gone after educators. You know, they're going to transform the educational system. You know, they've gone after the activists. They've gone after lawyers. And so essentially, Hong Kong today looks politically like most any other Chinese city. There's the you know, kind of the a certain fake democratic uh, you know gloss to it, but that's really over. And they they got what they wanted is they shut down any sort of an opposition to the party. And now you can go to jail essentially for voicing opposition to the party. So that's like the mainland. Eric Gomez is Director of Defense Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, where Doug Bandau is a senior fellow. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 